Lord, we do thank you for tonight, Jesus, how we can come together and just look at this topic of having a clear conscience between God and others, Lord. And I do pray that as we look at this topic, that your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts and just reveal to us the things that he wants us to see and the things he wants us to know about ourselves. Lord, I just commit that to you. Only you know what's in our hearts, Lord, and you know how to bring it to the surface. And I do pray that as we consider what we hear tonight, Lord, that you would do a deep cleansing in all of our hearts and bring about a deep repentance in all of our hearts. For the women that are here and the ones that listen online, I ask this in Jesus' name. So there is a French proverb that says, there is no pillow so soft as a clear conscience. I like that. I like the quote. And Oswald Chambers says, I have to make an effort to keep my conscience so sensitive that I can live without any offense towards anyone. Right there, those two quotes, it's like, okay. And what we're going to see from the Bible study, what we've done so far, is the first seven lessons that we've done in this study have focused primarily on the vertical aspect of relationship, of revival, our relationship with God. Because we see to have ongoing relationship, uh, ongoing revival, we need to examine our hearts and make sure that we're letting God deal with sin in our lives, whether it's confessed or unconfessed sin. And what we're going to see from the rest of the study from this time out is going to focus on the horizontal implications of revival, how a right relationship with God affects our relationship with others. So the first thing we're going to look at is a clear conscience, dealing with offenses towards others. Okay, the Apostle Paul knew that there would be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. I mean, he lived in that reality. And what we see in Acts 24, verse 16, can someone read that scripture verse? It should be on the handout there. Acts 24, verse 16. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. So because Paul lived in the reality that we're going to stand before this judgment seat of Christ one day, he made sure that he didn't have anything between him and God and him and other people. He was intentional, intentional about being right with God and others at all times. And the key, the commitment to have a clear conscience is an important key to personal and corporate revival. That's why we're looking at this topic tonight. And I have a question. Can you think of a time, maybe when the Holy Spirit was convicting you of a sin you had committed against someone, and you had no peace in your conscience till you made it right with that person? Yeah. For the... Women that are not here tonight, mostly everyone in the class is shaking their head yes. Yeah, there have been times even some of the kids are shaking their heads yes. So what we see is before we can have a clear conscience with others, we first have to have a clear conscience with God. And you see that in Hebrews 10, verse 19 through 23, if you could read that scripture verse, Diane. 
Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So... In that passage of scripture, we have instruction on how we can have a clear conscience. If we are convicted maybe over something that we said or how we said it or someone was offended, whatever it might be, what is the remedy for that? We have to acknowledge our sin first right before the Lord. We see that in Psalm 51 with David where David acknowledged his sin first before the Lord, and it was real to him, against you when you only have my sin and done this evil in your sight. But then, what we see from there, it's, it, you, you just have a greater appreciation for the blood of Jesus, because you realize, if I, didn't, if I wasn't able to come before his throne of grace, remember, it's a throne of grace and mercy, to be cleansed, of my sin, there'd be no hope at all for me. No hope. Because how many times a day can we offend people and we don't even know we've offended them or even the Lord? If you remember in the Old Testament, it talked about intentional sins. There were intentional sins, but then there were unintentional sins that the priests had to go before the Holy of Holies and confess for the people, you know, it's the mediator between the people. So when you're in the reality of my only righteousness and my only cleansing can come from Christ, you realize how precious the blood of Jesus Christ is in order to have a clear conscience before the Lord and also with others, you know, to ask others to forgive you. So in Hebrews 9, verse 13 and 14, Deborah, can you read that? For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So you see that in those two scripture passages, it talks about we can have our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, we read that in what Diane had read in Hebrews 10. But then here in Hebrews 9 tells us that we can cleanse our conscience from dark, dead works. I can't talk today. From dead works. So, again, we see what a gift this is from the Lord, that we can come to him in that way. So what does it mean to have a clear conscience? And this comes directly from the Bible study. It means there is no obstruction in our fellowship with God or anyone else. It means to have no unconfessed sin between you and God or any other person. It means we are careful to avoid sinning against God or others with our words, actions, or attitudes. It means that when we do sin, we quickly repent and admit our failures to all offended parties by asking their forgiveness and making whatever restitution that is necessary. 
It means to take whatever steps are necessary to deal with every sin we may have committed against every other person. And it means we can look everyone we know in the eye without shame and know that we are right with them in so far as it depends on us. So that's what it means to have a clear conscience before God. And you read that list, it's like, where am I on that list? Where am I? Samuel, this was in the Bible study, for those of you that do have the Bible study and that are going through it, Samuel's life illustrates us what it means to have a clear conscience. He was a faithful spiritual counselor in Israel for many, many years, and his life was very stable. His leadership had always been reliable, even in the midst of national chaos. And listen to what he says. I mean, I read this and I'm like, wow. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Now Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice in all that you said to me and have made a king over you. And now here is the king walking before you, and I am old and gray-headed. And look, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. Here I am. Witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. And they said, you have not cheated us or oppressed us nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. What a testimony of a man of integrity that no one could find fault with him. Wow. (laughs) Would that be our testimony, right? Mm -hmm. That we could stand before every single person that has seen our life unfold day in and day out and not have one charge or can say anything bad about us or our character. That we totally exemplify the Lord in every single situation. Now you know why. The past four weeks this study has been like, oh. I told Jeff coming here, I'm glad I'm doing it tonight because this has been like a really intense four weeks for me. Inside. Not so much outwardly, inside. Because we realize when you're doing this, and you'll see by some of the pointed questions towards the end, is how we do take offense at things. But we hold it in. We don't say anything. And it's at home. It's at home. The main place you're going to find when we look at the questions at the end, it's at home. Whether the way your spouse speaks to you or what he doesn't do that you think he should do, <laughs> you know, it's just the list goes on and on. But Samuel could stand before the people who knew him and had observed his life and ask them what wrong he had done to any of them and not have one accuser. Not one. Amazing. The people had observed Samuel's life over the many years 
and knew he was upright and a man of integrity. No one can find fault with him. And here I have again, like Samuel, we should be able to stand before everyone we know and have no one accuse us of any wrongdoing to them or failing to make it right. Why is this important? Well, this again is from the Bible study. Any child of God who is serious about seeking the Lord and experiencing personal revival will be committed to maintain a clear conscience towards others. So that's why this is very important that we speak on it. And, you know, it just makes me, it made me wonder and look at, well, why don't I experience times of refreshing when others do or why aren't others experiencing times of refreshing when others are? Is there because there's something there that needs to be resolved before God and with another person? So we can pray, Lord, I want to have a clear conscience that is clear towards every person I know. Please reveal to me any issues I need to resolve with others and by your grace, I will do whatever you show me I need to do to make these matters right. So before I go on, I want to share a testimony. I don't know if you've ever had a situation where maybe a person's face keeps coming up in your head and maybe a scenario that happened. Months can go by, even years can go by, and you still remember it. You can still see it. Well, I had that happen with me, with someone. And I was doing this study. This was four weeks ago. This happened. I'm doing this study, and I'm in my prayer room, and this person kept coming to me, and I felt like, I need to contact them. So I'll give you the scenario. I don't know if they listen to the podcast or not, but it was during when COVID first struck. I know you remember that when we didn't know what was happening or how it was unfolding. All we knew there was this virus in China that was coming this way and everyone was locked down 14 days. It was only supposed to be 14 days. We were supposed to shut everything down. So I'm trying to stay on top of everything because I know the ladies are meeting. I got to stay connected with them somehow. So I'm trying to research that and trying to get as much information as what was going on in China at the time and what was happening. But then at the same time, I was trying to minister to all the ladies that we had in the church at the time. But then, too, I knew I needed to be ministered to. So there was a wonderful, and I think I brought it up in one of my Bible studies, uh, there is, uh, it's from Revive Our Hearts, the the, they had it formed a group during that time for pastors, wives, and women in ministry. It was just for them. And it was such a blessing to be able to minister to one another, get ideas from one another, how they were dealing with crisis, because it was a first-time experience for all of us in leadership. And it's like, how do you go through a pandemic as a spiritual leader when you're leading people? How do you lead them through this? So it was a first-time thing for a lot of wives that 
a pastor's wife. She's really listening intently. <laughs> so, so I finally, even though the Lord was ministering to me through this group that I was involved with, I had a meltdown one day. And we all met the leaders at the time. And I just had a total meltdown because I knew I wasn't going to be able to see my parents and I didn't know, am I ever going to be able to see my parents again? I didn't know what this pandemic was going to, and were they going to survive it? You know, with the news that they were saying that if you're a certain age, you're not going to survive it if you get it. So I was dealing with a lot of stuff. And then I'm on Facebook and I'm seeing people are going on vacation, taking trips, doing this and that. And my heart was envious. I was envious in my heart and jealous. It's like, Lord, that's not fair. So I had this total meltdown with the leadership. And it was really a cry for help and for prayer. Jeff knew I needed prayer and I needed help. Well, it wasn't taken that way. So I, one of the persons... I was so flabbergasted by their reaction. I mean, I was just, wow. I was flabbergasted by their reaction. And so this scenario, now three years out, kept coming up in my mind. And it kept coming up in my mind. And I'm doing this Bible study and I said, I'm going to have a clear conscience here. I don't know if God is in this or not. But I'm going to be obedient, and I'm going to reach out to them. So I did. I wrote them a, a, an email. And I didn't point fingers at anyone. And this is how you do things. I just took responsibility for how I reacted in that meeting. You know, I didn't get into the whys or what I was looking for as a leader from other leaders. I wasn't even going to go there. I knew God just wanted me to respond to how I reacted. How I could have reacted differently. And that's all. I kept the short, sweet, scented. Not less than five minutes, I got a response back. And they repented. They knew they were wrong and how they reacted. And God did a healing there. So there'll be times where maybe you're stuck and this scenario keeps running in your mind of what happened, something that happened, and it's chances are it's the Holy Spirit wanting you to go to that person and repent for your part. Not for their part, what they should have done as leaders or whatever you think or whatever biblically they were supposed to handle, how they were supposed to handle it, but take responsibility for how you responded to the situation. And I knew since then, it's been four weeks since then, I don't even think about it anymore. It's like truly a thing of the past now. But for three years, it kept coming up, kept coming up. And, and I would question, where should I go? And I would talk to my husband. He said, man, you are under so much pressure. He said, I knew it was a cry 
you wanted, you were looking for prayer and help. But it kept coming up. It was like, no, I'm going to take this step. And it was, it was wonderful. So we look at what does it mean to have a clear conscience? It means, I'm going to read this over again since uh, Brenda just came. It means there's no obstruction in our fellowship with God or anyone else. It means to have no unconfessed sin between you and God or any other person. It means we're careful to avoid sinning against God or others with our words, actions, or attitude. It means that when we do sin, we quickly repent, admit our failures to offend the parties by asking their forgiveness and making whatever restitution that is necessary. It means to take whatever steps are necessary to deal with every sin we may have committed against every other person. And it means we can look everyone we know in the eyes without shame and know that we are right with them in so far as it depends on us. And we looked at Samuel's life, right? And how he was able to stand up before man <laughs> and they couldn't find any fault with him. Now I'm sure if I was to stand up, they could find plenty of fault, you know. Still got a lot in New York in me that needs to die, you know. <laughs> so, but regardless, we still have to do the right thing. We know it's right before the Lord. So the second point here we're looking at, a clear conscience. How do we reconcile with God and others? And in Acts 9, verses 1 through 5, um, let's see. Sarah, do you want to read that? Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So, you know, you read that and you see how the apostle Paul, before he was converted, was persecuting the church. And really he was persecuting the Lord. I mean, it's really against the Lord. And what we have to look at and realize is that when we get in the wrong spirit, especially towards someone in the body of Christ, it's really against the Lord. Against you and you, Lord, have I done this evil and committed this sin before you. So, what I've seen in the years of counseling, but especially since we started the counseling center in town, there have been many Christians that have come to us in counseling. There have been many Christians that have come here to this church that were hurt by someone in another church, and that's why they come to us either for counseling at the counseling center or they come to this church. And the problem is, if you don't deal with the hurt, if someone hurts you where you are, you'll wind up leaving the church you're at. And that's what we've seen over and over and over and over at the counseling center especially. And you know that. This is an area where people 
go to different churches. They church hop. But when you get at the root why they left their church they were at, they were hurt by someone and they didn't deal with the offense biblically. So now they take that anger and that bitterness and resentment to another church until someone else comes and hurts them again and it spews out on everyone. We've seen it over and over again over the years. You know, there's a lot of church splits because of that. People are broken inside. They're hurting inside. We hide behind smiles. I'm fine. But are we really? Or are we offended? Has someone offended us in some way? And like I said, if you have a scenario that keeps coming up in your mind, it, it, it would be wise to take it before the Lord. Lord, do I need to go make things right with this person? Do I need to go to them? Revival and reconciliation go hand in hand. And that's what we're looking at. If we want to have ongoing revival in our life, we must be reconciled with people. Revival and reconciliation are inseparable. You cannot be right with God and not right with your fellow man. You're in delusion. I mean, Jesus, you read it in the John, in the epistles. If you say, how could you say you love God and hate your brother? Or despise your brother, right? When our relationship with God is revived, our relationship with others are impacted. So when we're dealing with the broken relationships, when you're dealing with the bitterness, with the grudges, with the critical spirit, with the anger, the complacency, it's replaced by genuine love, forgiveness, and humility and oneness. Then you're going to see God come to you. He will come to you. When believers cannot get along with one another or fail to resolve conflicts biblically, and this is another big problem, we discredit the gospel. And that's a big problem in church, dealing with offenses or conflicts biblically. Instead of just packing it up, well, fine, I'll go to another church. And then some people even take a whole crowd with them. Because of the gossip. But when God's people are reconciled to each other, we demonstrate the power of the gospel because that's the whole message of the gospel. Love, forgiveness, and reconciliation. So I'm going to jump down because I really want to be able to get to some of these questions here. Uh, Let's see how far. I'm going to go. Let's go make it personal. How do we go about getting a clear conscience? So make a list of each person the Holy Spirit brings to mind that you wronged or with whom you have an unresolved conflict. And this is so important. Not This is not the time to take out your record of wrongs against them. I can't tell you how many times people have come to our office with a list of everything they don't like about us. I mean, personal, I don't like you because of this or that. That's not the time to do that. That's not being reconciled. 
My husband was gonna do that once years ago with someone, and when that person showed up to the office, the Holy Spirit told him, put your list away. Put your list away. You repent to him for where you were wrong. It's not about him. It's about you. It's about you. And that's what the Lord was putting his finger on with me. It's not about how they all responded. It's about how you responded to how they responded. (laughs) That I want to make right in your heart. So love covers a multitude of sins. It covers a multitude of sins. So is your conscience clear with your family? Are you deceiving your family in any way? Are you slothful or negligent in your duties at home? Do you have habits that irritate or frustrate your family? Are you angry, resentful, or abusive towards any family member? Have you wounded the spirit of your mate? Have you withheld love from your mate or any of your children? Have you dishonored your parents or your mate's parents? Have you failed to provide for your family or to give yourself to your mate? in an intimate way? Have you broken any promises to your family? Or have you broken your marriage vows? What about church? Is your conscience clear with your church family? Have you been guilty of gossip, slander, or critical spirit towards your pastor or any of the leaders in your church? Has God placed any area of service on your heart that you've been unwilling to perform? Do you have critical thoughts and attitudes attitudes towards anyone in your church? Have you verbalized those thoughts to others? Do you portray a better than now attitude to your church family? Have you failed to give generously from your income back to the Lord? Have you failed to failed to follow the Lord by being baptized? Have you abused your role of leadership in the church in any way? Have you been a hypocrite, serving in church, leaving an impression of being a spiritual while covering up disobedience or lack of true heart for God? How is your conscience clear with the unbelieving world? Have you stirred up or contributed to any disputes in your neighborhood or community? Have you stolen from any place of business, shoplifting, were undercharged and didn't call attention to it? Do you obey traffic laws, building codes, and other ordinances? Is your name well spoken of by your neighbors and the vendors with whom you conduct business? Would the people in your community conclude that you are Christian by observing your lifestyle? Have you cheated on your income tax or exams? or papers at school? What about the workplace? Have you spoken disrespectfully to or about your supervisor? Do you have any unresolved disputes with fellow workers? When you do have a disagreement at work, do you seek to resolve it quickly and biblically, or do you display anger and bring others in on it unnecessary or needlessly? Do you work faithfully and diligently 
Are you always honest about why you're taking time off? Have you stolen any items or money from your employer or cheated on an expense report? Is your conscience clear from the past? Do you have any unresolved conflicts with family members, church members, leaders, staff, neighbors, supervisors, fellow workers, classmates, teachers, professors? Have you committed any crime that you would never confess to the proper authorities? Have you lied to anyone about anything in an attempt to avoid consequences for some wrong you've done? So you could see why this is a heavy, heavy teaching. Because when you go through this, you can either see past, present, or you realize if I don't deal with this future, this is where I'm heading. But if we want to have a clear conscience before God and others, we have to look at this honestly, especially with our spouse. I want to say that especially with our spouse. Because when you start asking the Lord, Lord, show me if my conscience is clear towards my spouse, he'll start showing you all the little things that aggravate you about your spouse. He will. And you realize, man, my heart, if I don't deal with this, I'm going to be bitter and resentful. And they're stupid things. We just clean the kitchen. Why are the cabinets all open and there's crumbs everywhere? You all are laughing. <laughs> there's a lot of laughter going on for those that are listening online. Right? Or maybe the garbage, you can't put one more thing in there. And you're like, waiting, <laughs> waiting. And finally, you just take the garbage out and throw it out the porch. <laughs> Little things like that. But we got to let God deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with it in our hearts. So in the Bible study on page 163, private confession is sin committed against God and it needs to be confessed. I don't think I have this on the handout. Personal confession is, I keep moving my spot here, is wrong done to another individual that needs to be confessed to God and to the other person, for example, lying, stealing, anger, slander, or immorality. This is good for kids because mommy might say, did you do that? Did you take that? No. Must have been so-and-so. Must have been me. How many times I did that with my poor brother? I blamed everything on Paul. I am laughing. She goes, my brother. But you know, when I got saved, I had to go to him and tell him, I'm sorry, I had to make things right with my mom. Because God, again, was like pressing it. You lied. You lied. You need to tell her the truth. And you worry about the consequences, 
But the consequences are never what you think they're going to be, or maybe they are. Maybe they are. But there's a good spiritual lesson in that. God disciplines those he loves. So, you know, whatever the consequences are, we have to realize they're coming from the hand of the Lord. Public confession, if our sin was against a group of people or has become common knowledge, we need to seek forgiveness from all those who have been affected. Examples include public outbursts of anger, an adulterous relationship that is public knowledge and has tarnished the testimony of Christ, hypocritical lifestyles, stealing from church funds, etc. Those are all examples of public confession. We need to admit our wrongs, seek forgiveness of all who have been affected by our wrongdoing. Clearing your conscience can sometimes take months or even years. Because sometimes you may not even see that other person again, ever again. Or you try to reach out to them, and they don't respond to you. So what do you do? What do you do when you have a situation like that? You want to make things right with that person, but they don't want to meet with you. You have to take it before the Lord. Lord, you see I'm willing. I'm willing to make things right and pray for them. God soften their heart. Heal them. If I've, I, I, if I've done something to them that is going to like totally destroy their whatever it might be, to keep them away from the body of Christ. Like when I was talking about so many people that have been hurt in the church and they go church hopping and go to different churches instead of dealing with the hurt. Will Lord bring healing to that person? Because what usually happens to someone like that is they'll stop going to church altogether. You've seen that. They're not in fellowship at all. And they think they're okay. They think they're okay with God. They think they're okay with other believers. And they're not. They separated themselves. A man who isolates themselves, Proverbs 18.1 says, is full of his own ways. It's full of his own ways. It destroys us. So if we've wronged another, we must humble ourselves and do whatever is required to gain a clear conscience with God and that person. And that is something you have to wrestle with the Lord. You know, I mean, you just have to wrestle it out. And you'll know if you have something in your heart towards someone, if you keep nursing or bringing up their feelings, or you're critical, or you have a desire for revenge, or whenever you think about them, you get angry in your heart. That's a red flag. There's probably an unresolved conflict there. If you're bitter inside or keeping score, yeah, you know, just like on the record of wrong, you just keep adding to that record of wrong or holding a grudge. Something's wrong. And that means you have to do what Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24. He said, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And I had someone do that years ago. 
in the church. They were on the worship team. And I remember I was sitting in the front row. And in the middle of the worship, she just stopped and she came over and she repented to me. She's like, I can't go on another minute worshiping because my heart's not right. I need to make it right with you. Right in the middle of worship. But that's what it looks like. Instead of just pretending, nah, I'm good with God and everything is good. But meanwhile, I was encouraged by that because it showed me she's hard sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And she let the Holy Spirit show her something that she needed to make right. You know, so don't hide behind the smile. <laughs> Be honest. But again, in that honesty, it's not a time to bring out your list of everything you don't like about that person. You know what that does to people? It destroys them. You don't bring out a list. You acknowledge where I have been wrong. Like I had to acknowledge where I was wrong in that meeting. And trust me, I could have brought out a list if I wanted to. But the Holy Spirit was like, it's about you. This is about you. It's not about them. It's about you. So, is there anyone in the body of Christ you may have treated in a way that was harmful to them, and therefore to Christ? And have you sought his forgiveness for your sin against him and against the other individual? Revival and reconciliation go hand in hand. Revival and reconciliation are inseparable. We cannot be right with God and not be right with our fellow man. So you can take these questions that I asked here and go through them again with the Holy Spirit. Just what if there's anyone just help me to write the names down and go to each one as the time allows me to go and make things right with that person. Francois Fenlon said, Happy is the soul which holds itself ceaselessly in the hands of its creator, ready to do everything which he wishes, which never stops saying to itself a hundred times a day, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do in this situation? What would you have me to do to make peace in this situation? What would you have me to do? And the good place to start is pray. You know, by prayer. You pray for that person. You know, especially if the Lord has allowed you to see where they're broken inside. Instead of taking a personal realize this person is broken inside just like I'm broken inside and we both need a savior we both need his forgiveness we both need him and I tell you when I sent that email and the response I got back I didn't expect that I didn't expect it but that told me that God was working there for those three years as well and their heart too so you don't know. I want you to take a step of faith. 
what's going to come out of it, if it's possible, if it's possible. Because I think I shared with you before about my stepbrother in Colorado, the oldest, the youngest one, I have three, and the oldest one, I've tried to reconcile with him for years, but he's still not open. And I'm talking about years. And my, my last thing to him was like, you know, when your dad dies, is that going to be the time we're going to reconcile with each other? You're still going to hold it against him? He just hates me because I'm a Christian. That's bottom line. I'm a Christian. He hates Christians. I'm his sister, though. And I love his dad. It's his dad. It's not my dad. My stepdad, I call him my dad, but it's his father that I love like my dad. <coughs> Doesn't matter. So I have to just Lord forgive him. Because I know if he doesn't repent of what he needs to repent of, he's not going to be spending eternity with you. You know. And he has to repent of unbelief. He's an atheist. And he hates God and he hates Christians. So sometimes you try to make reconciliation, but it's impossible. But at least you know, Lord, you see, I've done everything I know to reach out to him, to try to make peace with him. I can't do anything else. You can't have a relationship one-sided, you know, just one-sided. It takes both parties. And if one party's resistant, then that makes it difficult. So, in light of that, Oh, this is how we're ending our teaching. <laughs> and sometimes it's like that. <laughs> sometimes it's like that. So, Samantha, can you close us some prayer? Thank you. for this time that we can come together and study your word together, Lord. Father, I know this teaching is very convicting for me, and you've just been showing me at least three people, Lord. God, I pray that for everyone else here, not just me, Lord, that you would just open up opportunities to where we can be clear and have our consciences clear before you and before others, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, God, that when you bring up these hard, can, when you convict, Lord, it's always for our good. And I thank you, Lord, that I always take comfort that when we're, when I am, or when anyone is convicted by you, it's a sign that we belong to you. Because your word says that you discipline us like a father disciplines his children. And it's in love. It's because you love us. And I pray, Lord, that you ultimately would have the results in our lives that you want, Lord. That I pray that we would be obedient to your call, Lord. Have your way, Lord Jesus. Amen.